So I thought I knew the moment it was. Why I would be thinking about that is because my life's work has had a trajectory that I would not have anticipated. So you see, the work I do is I spend all day, every day, as a white woman, talking about institutional and systemic racism in the city of Portland. <laughs> I, it almost feels like an accidental career. And I'm a curious person, and I, and, I, and I like to think about things. And a lot of people have asked me, why do you do this work? Lots of people said, are you married to a black man? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have to be why. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, That's great. what is it? Where did it come from, right? Um, and I certainly can remember one of the big moments. My dad was a Presbyterian minister. And we had lived in little towns in Ohio and Pennsylvania. And most of the time, our churches actually served um, white families, um, mostly who worked in mines and were mostly Polish. Um, now, you have to understand, in my family, it wasn't like my dad had a job. We were the minister's family. In one place, we lived in the house that was connected through the basement to the church. <laughs> well, when I was about, I think, nine, my family moved into uh, New Kensington, Pennsylvania. Now, this was a suburb of Pittsburgh, kind of. And uh, we lived in a very nice neighborhood. Um, our neighbors were doctors and lawyers and everything because the church, while the parishioners were mining families, they had really invested in the manse. That's what we Presbyterians call, you know, the place that the family gets to live. And, uh, you know, this was a very nice neighborhood. It was really pretty, lots of kids around. You could go anywhere. You'd come in when street lights were out. And I was a very, uh, I was a friendly little girl. The big story is we arrived, I jumped out of the car and said, I'm going to go meet the neighbors. <laughs> and life went on, and we had this sweet little church, and. We'd go to church, and my mom directed the choir, and my sister sang it, and my dad would preach, and I would run down after Communion Sunday, because we didn't have little bread. We had shortbread made by the local bakery. <laughs> and I would run down to see if I could get some extra. <laughs> and the women would tell me, these are for people who could not make it to church, who are ill with that look. And I would feel kind of bad for a minute, and put a couple in my pocket. <laughs> like that for a while. <laughs> but this was the 60s. And actually, I made a mistake. I was not nine. That's the later. Because you have to understand that I was a little bit younger than that. I'm 56 now. And um, things were really happening in the South. And at one point, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter. And he wrote it, and it's a famous letter. It's the letter from the Birmingham jail. And he wrote the letter to pastors all over the country and basically saying, where are you? Where are you? Well, that letter pierced my father's heart and my mother's. They were really a team in their ministry. And my father decided he had to go to Selma. Now, this was not um, considered a safe thing to do. 
know, people were getting killed down there. And my grandparents were writing long letters, because they wrote letters, didn't have talk on the phone in those days, saying, let somebody go who doesn't have a young family, don't take the risk. But they really felt it was the right thing to do. And I vividly remember my father telling me, and I couldn't have been more than six or seven, and I remember him come, them coming and saying, um, my dad said, I'm going to be going away for a while. And he said, well, where are you going to go? He said, well, I'm not really exactly sure. And I said, well, how long are you going to be gone? He said, well, I don't really know that either. I said, well, why are you going? And he said, because God's telling me to. And I said, oh, Daddy, you sound just like Moses. <laughs> <laughs> and he went. And, uh, you know, we were reading the paper and watching the news. And, um, but what I was shielded from, I, my sister was seven years older, was that my mother and sister were fielding the calls, the death threats wow. that, he was, that, that we were getting because my father was doing this. But my dad comes back. His sermon, his first sermon about being in Selma is on the front page of the newspaper. And life, in my opinion, got a lot more exciting. My parents started organizing marches. We'd go downtown. I found out black people lived in New Kensington. <laughs> no clue before that. And I gotta tell you, I just thought this was the way life should be lived. You know, I was really into this. And you know when you're that age where there's just such clarity about right and wrong? There's no there's no question. And it was probably amplified because my parents, I was very fortunate, what they told me about Jesus was that he was about love and justice. And this made so much sense. So eventually my dad got offered a job to move into Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and have a street ministry for the hippies. And it was uh, four different churches had put in to have this place called Loaves and Fishes, and it was a coffee house, so we could do outreach to the, the hippies. And uh, so we moved from this pretty nice suburb into, into urban Pittsburgh, into a neighborhood called Shadyside, which these days is very she-she, but it was not at the time. And in fact, it was really the only in racially integrated neighborhood in Pittsburgh at the time. Um, the school I went to was a progressive school, which I now realize meant not all white. <laughs> we lived in neat old houses. Uh, our house was on the street. There was an alley, then there was a parking lot, and then my father's coffee house, the Loaves and Fishes, was across the way. And in my street, there were lots of kinds of folks on my street, but in my neighborhood, the only girls my age were black. And so they were all my best friends. My favorite, closest friend was Brenda, who lived down the street. She lived with her mom. Um, there were five other kids. And we played together every day. And again, this was the time when you come in when the street lights went out. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was just my bestest friend. And particularly for girls, I think, at that age, 9, 10, that's just, that's such an important relationship. Boys are not on the horizon. <laughs> and so I loved going to Brenda's house. Oh, my goodness. You know, at my house, which was also an old house but a little bigger, when we had dinner, we sat down. My mother put the plates all in front of my father. He would serve each plate. <laughs> 
we would pray, then we would have our dinner, there'd be lots of sit up straight and keep your elbows off the table. <laughs> at Brenda's house, we ate in the kitchen at a big round old linoleum table. Brenda's mom would make a great big skillet of pork chops. <laughs> a big pot of these green things called greens. <laughs> and we would sit down around the table, everybody would spear a pork chop, and you get a big serving of greens, and then there were piles of white bread which we'd put butter on and then dip right into the pork grease. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought, I don't know what's wrong with my parents because these people know how to eat. <laughs> We're making it way too complicated. And we go, I'd go hang out on the weekends with Brenda and her, and her sisters and her mom and we'd have the music going and this was Motown and you know Michael Jackson was really coming in, in and we would dance, we would, they'd teach me the latest dances, we'd all be dancing around while her mom did the girls hair. So they'd be going and sitting and taking their place at the table and the iron would be in the, on the snow, on the gas stove and the little girl would sit down and the Vaseline would come out and one after another they'd get their hair done. I really wanted Brenda's mom to do my hair. <laughs> and I think finally, after a while, after a few of these times, she got so tired of me asking, she said, all right, I'll do your hair. And I sat down, and we were all pretty excited. I was going to get my hair done. And I sat down, and she pulled up a strip of my hair, and she put the Vaseline on, and she put the iron on, and <laughs> burning hair everywhere. <laughs> Just burned right off. <laughs> and I'm like, damn. I got the wrong kind of hair. This is just. I remember these times so vividly. They were so great. One day, though, Brenda came over and said, I gotta talk to you. She said, we're gonna move. And I thought, oh no. And uh, she said, I'm not ever gonna see you again. I said, no, no, I'll see you. Um, she said, no, no, I won't. And I said, well, my mom will drive me. I mean, you know, where are you going, the moon? Um, she said, no, your mom can't drive you. Because where I'm moving, white people can't come. I really remember this moment of complete confusion. You mean I can't come see you because I'm white? White people don't come to where I'm moving. And after she moved, I never saw Brenda again. And within three months, all the black families were gone from my neighborhood. Yeah. So as, as I thought about how did I end up here doing the work I do, which is my deepest passion, I wondered what moment it was.
Because between those two moments, there were many more and many to follow. But I think probably that was the moment. I think I've spent my whole life trying to understand 